Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. It is a pleasure being with you today as we delve into the empirical research supporting the processes that can lead us to live our most fulfilling lives in accordance with our highest values. Dr. John Martini is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, a researcher, author, and global educator. Dr. Martini has helped thousands of people around the world transform their life according to their highest values to create their life masterpiece. So, John, before we get started here, share with us a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Okay. When I was nine years old, I approached my dad and I said, Dad, I want to earn some money. I want to buy a baseball and a glove and a bat. He said, okay, have you mowed the yard? Yes, sir. Have you edged the sidewalk? Yes, sir. Have you clipped the hedges? Yes, sir. Have you cleaned out the gutters? Yes, sir. Have you swept out the garage? Yes, sir. Have you shined my shoes? Yes, sir. He said, son, I don't have anything else that needs to be done. If, if you've done that and the weeding and everything, I don't have anything. I'm not going to just pay you without doing something. So if you want to do something to earn some money, you're going to have to go to the neighbors. <laughs> so I went walking down the street, walking up in doors and see if I could do some weeding or mowing or anything that I knew when I was nine. And I closed some deals and I bought my glove and my bat and my ball. And my dad saw me with them and he said, son, what, where did you get the ball and the bat and the glove? And I said, I did what you said. I went to the neighbors and I, and I did, you know, service to try to, to earn some money. He says, what equipment did you use? I said, the equipment in the garage. He said, son, I have to charge you for that. There's a, there's a, a depreciation schedule on that. And I got to charge you for that. What did you do? Anyway, it turned out I had to owe him $7.50. And I went, oh, I, I, I've spent it all. I don't have it. I, he said, well, you're going to have to work some more and then pay me back. So I had to pay that back and some more. And that innovated something inside me because I saw a kid riding a bicycle next to me. And he said, he, was, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm mowing. And I said, would you like to push the mower? I'll pay you 50 cents. And that kid came on board. And then two other kids came on board. And then I ended up with three sets of kids helping me in the neighborhood. And I got two other people's equipment. They charged me the same as my dad because they talked to my dad. And I ended up with uh, nine employees doing yards and weeding and clipping hedges and mowing. And, and then I would collect all the money. So it was $5 for a normal lot, $9 for a corner lot. And at, one day we actually closed and netted after paying everybody off $45, which is around $600 today. And my dad said, well, you're doing great, son. I'm, I'm inspired by what you've accomplished, but there's something you haven't done is you haven't learned to save your money. So he bought me a coin collection set and a piggy bank, which I still have in my door in my Houston office on the 52nd floor of Houston in uh, Williams Tower, the same piggy bank with the same coins from 1963. <laughs> I've never t opened that coin because he didn't give me a way of opening it. <laughs> and then he, then he said to me, he says, well, now that you've learned how to do that, you bought your bicycle and you bought everything else. I'm going to buy you. I'm going to give you one level more of freedom. He says, from now on, you're going to pay for clothing, food, and rent, $7.50 a week to, to live at the house. But you bought your freedom. You can go anywhere you want on that bicycle. You just got to be home at nine o'clock at night. And I didn't like that at first, but then I thought, wow, I'm free now. I can go anywhere. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. He bought my freedom. He was trying to prepare me for the real world, which a lot of parents are somehow 
overlooking today. And I'm so grateful to that because I think that helped me learn how to be a survivor and figure out a way of always, no matter what happens, I can always find something to serve people and earn an income from. And so I'm very grateful for that. That's a significant impact on my life. Well, a wise parent you had indeed. And what a way to lead you into the real world. Well, tell us about uh, values, their importance to us. How do we find our values? What do we do when we find our values to use them for our highest purposes to shape our masterpiece life? Well, I've been involved in research and education and teaching now for 49 years. And one thing that I observed in people is many people would say they want to do something and then they not get around to do it. They procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate, and not be disciplined, reliable, and focused on doing things. And I wanted to know why. And I found that people live by a set of priorities, a set of values that are unique to them, like a fingerprint. And whatever's highest on that list of values, they spontaneously are inspired from within to act upon and fulfill. And as they go down the list of values, they require more extrinsic motivation in order to get them to do it. Like a boy who loves his video games, you don't need to remind him or motivate him, incentivize him to do his video games, but you might have to do it to do his chores and homework. So whatever that is that's highest, that's most meaningful, identifying that became very important for human achievement. I found that that was consistent in singers and celebrities and sports personalities and business leaders. And I found that common theme in all the people I've interacted with. So I, I was, if I ask people what their values are, they'll tell you social idealisms. They'll tell you what they think it should be. And their mothers and fathers and preachers and teachers and conventions and mores and traditions around them instead of looking within and what their life actually demonstrates and what they're really walking or talk instead of just hoping for their future. And so I had to put together a value determination process that I've been using all these years and it's used around the world in different com- companies, countries, governments, etc. And that is, how do you fill your space? What do you fill your space with most, your personal and intimate space with most? How do you spend your time? You always make time, find time, spend time on things that are really valuable to you. You find a way of getting it to it. Where is it that energizes you? Raise your energy when you're doing high values, your lower energy when you're not. What is? Where is your money going? Because even though you say, I've got to pay this, I've got to pay that. No, you don't. You're paying things according to what you obviously think is important in your life. There's, uh, there's some people that have different things. And then I, I look at what is it they're most organized, where they're most disciplined, what is it they think about, visualize, and internally dialogue with themselves about most, about how they want their life that shows real evidence of coming true, real evidence, not just fantasies. What is it they want to converse with other people about most? What is it that inspires them and brings literally tears to their eyes when they, they're contemplating it, working on it, or what's common to the people who inspire them most? What is it that they have as a persistent, consistent goal that they've pursued, that they show evidence of coming true? And also, what is it they can't wait to get up and learn about, study about, watch on YouTube videos? And what do they keep wanting to put into their mind? And if you look carefully and you're honest about it, you'll find a pattern. And the thing that if you answer three answers for each of those 13 questions, you will find out the answer that shows up most and second most and third most of the top three values. And I've been doing this for 43 years now. And I, we use it in all kinds of companies and governments and, I mean, institutions. So it's a very useful tool to, for guidance counseling, for engagement at work, uh, leadership roles. Because what your values are, every perception, decision, and action you have in your life is based on your values. And you can only rely on somebody to fulfill what those are. And if you expect them to do something outside that, you're going to be let down. 
and feel betrayed sometimes. So knowing what that is, is important in deciding what, how to set priorities, how to delegate things, how to stick to the things that are really important to you. And so I, I make that a, the starting point, almost any endeavor that we're going to do, that we're going to achieve something. Well, when people, I guess, get off track and they actually spend a whole lot of their time procrastinating and avoiding doing the things that they really value, how do they get back on track? Well, you know, if I ask, and I've done this millions of people, I've asked people, how many of you want to be financially independent? Everybody puts their hand up and sometimes their other hand and sometimes their foot up in the air. And then I ask them, okay, how many of you are? And the hands go down. Less than 1% keep their hands up. Unless I'm speaking to a group of executives, then it may be higher percentage. And then I said, well, you know, it, it's interesting that everybody has their fantasy that they want to be financially independent, but what their life demonstrates is important to them is what they actually value. So if you have a higher value on buying consumables that pay ridiculous prices for brands in order to make yourself feel good in front of the Joneses, and you buy depreciables that are consumables that go down in value, you're not headed in the direction of financial independence. You're actually having money coming out of your pocket, and you're going to be working your life as a slave for money. If you really have a value on money, you'll be putting your money into things that go up in value. They're assets that put money back in passively into your mind and, and life. And if you have a higher value on wealth building than you do on consumerism, then you'll be moving forward. So what people say they want and what they actually live are two different things. And they think they're self-sabotaging. They think they got limited beliefs, but they don't. They're just not aware of what they really value. And they, they're subordinating to people they admire and injecting values of others into their life and confusing the clarity of their own real highest value and, and mission in life where they don't let themselves down. So many people say they want to do something, keep not doing it, procrastinating on the thing that they say they want to do because it's not really important. But they don't procrastinate on what's truly important. And, and I'm, I'm, I've watched this and, and people don't get it. They, they really believe that they have a value on these things and then they don't get around to doing them. So I I confront them and, and hold them accountable to look carefully at what's real because until they really get clear on it, they can only do two things. They can either beat themselves up expecting something that's not going to happen, or they can shift their values to make that really important, or they can start setting goals that are really congruent with who they are and be authentic and watch all of a sudden the momentum and incremental momentum building power that has and being authentic and walking a path, you know, walking your talk instead of limping your life. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Well, it seems to me that denial is a very powerful component of uh, our human experience. So how do you get people to come out of their denial and to actually see that they are sabotaging themselves. What we label sabotage is not really sabotage. It's just finding out what's really important to them. Because people think, well, I, I, I want to be financially independent, but I keep spending money. What they really are saying in their actual actions is I have a higher value on that immediate gratification than I do on long-term vision. 
and long-term payments. It's not sabotage. It's just a feedback about what really is important to them that they don't want to face because they want to, they're, they're, when they subordinate to outer authorities, they want to be like those people that they admire instead of actually being an unborrowed vision and being authentic to themselves. So when they go into denial, it's because they, they don't want to give up the fantasy of who they think they're going to be and who they want to be. And, and they, they, they don't want to let that go. But it, it's so wise to ask the question, what does your life demonstrate? <laughs> Not what you fantasize about. What does your life demonstrate? If you imagine a drone looking down on you and looking at how you're filling your space and how you're spending your time and where your money's going and what's really happening in your life, it's not the fantasy that you're walking around with. And you're going to deny because the fantasy creates a dopamine in the brain and an oxytocin in the brain. And it's not balanced chemistry. It's actually an addictive response to the fantasy. And we don't want to let that go. We're afraid to let it go. So denial is a compensation for the fear of loss of the infatuation we have with our fantasy about our life we fantasize. And that's only because we think somebody else has got a better life. They don't. <laughs> they actually have a new set of pains and pleasures in their life, but you think they've got a better life because they look the part, but actually behind the scenes, there's always two sides, just pain and pleasure, no matter what happens. There's a, a compensation that people are always facing, as Emerson describes, no matter where you are. I mean, I've worked with enough celebrities in the world to know that they don't have necessarily a better deal. <laughs> They've got a different deal. They've got challenges that the average person doesn't want to deal with. That's why they're not in that position. So you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to envy somebody and imitate somebody. As Ralph Waldo Emerson says, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. Why be second at somebody else when you can be first at being you? And why be a borrowed visionary and cloud the clarity of your own mission when you can be an unborrowed visionary and work from within intrinsically instead of extrinsically concerning yourself with people's opinions. Well, as an instructor, I see underperforming students all the time. Actually, just this last semester, I had one of the brightest students in my particular class ended up with a very low C, and she could have been the shining example in terms of grades. When she comes to class, she came to class with brilliant input and brilliant feedback. When it came to actually doing any written assignments, any work like that, she did nothing. So what is the disconnect that this young woman is experiencing? You know, it depends because some people are incredibly great in social interaction and speaking out in dialogue, but the idea of writing something or contemplating the analysis to put together a paper for something is not their deal. You know, I'm great at uh, researching and teaching, researching, writing and teaching. But outside that, I'm pretty well a klutz. <laughs> I have to delegate everything else to everybody else. I mean, I, I haven't driven a car in 32 years. I haven't cooked in, since I was 24. I don't do payroll or finance or administrative or marketing. I don't. All I do is teach, research and write. That's it. And I learned what my skill was, my core competency, and I delegate and surround myself with people who are greater at what I do than what I would do in those areas. And some people are brilliant in that little niche. And she may be brilliant in, in articulating socially uh, with an ingenious mind, but you put her in front of a pencil or a pad, and all of a sudden she's now, that's a different set of skills, and that may not be higher on her values. So it's, we don't want to say, well, she's lost her genius. We just want to find out where is her genius. I, I know a, a gentleman who's a, a, an absolute visionary in business, but forget it on management. You know, so people go, well, you know, he's sabotaging his business. No, he's not. He's not sabotaging his business. 
he does what he does great at. And the other, he hires somebody to do it. Procter and Gamble, he's, you know, he's put the person in there that's got the strength where his isn't. And that's, mm-hmm. he's built his team that way. So this, this girl may be, like you say, an absolute genius and incredible creativity, but not on that particular skill. Or for all we know, if we went into her history, we may have found out her boyfriend just broke up with her. Who knows what distracted her? So I always do a little history on that and find out what it is. And the way I find out somebody's engagement level in a particular task is just ask them how specifically is this particular task, writing a paper or writing a, a, a test, helping you fulfill what's most meaningful to you. And you'll find out that even though in the same class, there's different components of that class that are engaged and not engaged and not necessarily the individual's weakness. It's just that that's not their strength. Um, like I said, when it comes to writing, I'm slower than I am on speaking. I can speak spontaneously anytime. And I do a tremendous amount of writing. I've written lots and lots of stuff over the years. But at the same time, I, if I can speak and I can have it transcribed, I just signed a, a book deal for 10 books over the next five years, two books a year with a publisher this week. And uh, they're going to take live presentations, live seminars and live uh, videos and transcribe that and get it edited. And I'll just oversee the last editing on it. Mm-hmm. And we'll put the books out there. That is way more easier than me sitting down and cramping my style by sitting and contemplating writing and because I can speak much more fluently than I can write, even though I've written a lot. That is where it is. And she probably has a skill in that one area more so than the the actual didactic component that might be there in addition to their ability to do it. Put her in front of a group of people, she'd probably take the lead. Put her in front of a pad or, or a computer, she may slow down. That's very true. But she's being, I don't know, she's being inhibited in her progress in terms of of opportunities that are going to be before her in life because she has the capacity to write. When she does write, she can write and write well. But she isn't doing it, and so she's hindering her progress in life. Unless she hires somebody to do that. (laughs) (laughs) she hires, I'm a firm believer that if, if you're not doing what you really love to do in life and delegating the rest, you're holding your back from an inspired life. I don't always go by what other people think I should do. I go by what's inspiring to me and I delegate the rest because a lot of people with different values project onto other people um, what they think they need to be doing. But I always found that that's distracting. You got to be true to yourself. And then, and you want to, I'm sure you probably asked her knowing as a professor, you probably asked her, you know, I noticed that you're capable of doing this. Is there something about this project that's not as inspiring? Are you distracted or have you lost your interest in this field? I'd be asking her questions and found out. Or are you planning on, go- do you have already a vision about what you want to do that's not going to be involved in this? And you're just going to get your grades and go on to do something else. Because some people are entrepreneurs and already know, I'm not going to sit there and work for a company. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that. Yeah. As my son said to me, he said, son, he said, dad, you taught me to delegate. Why would I want to go and put focus on that? I already know I'm delegating that. <laughs> I said, I said you're don't, let, don't go by what I say. <laughs> <laughs> go by what I say, not what I do, huh? <laughs> yeah. but, I, but the truth is, it's, it's, uh, Dad, you're, you're very fortunate financially and you don't do all those things. So why would I want to be doing and focusing on, on a devaluating job uh, activity when I can be hiring somebody for a whole lot less than what I can generate per hour doing what I, my skill is? I said, mm-hmm. okay, you're on power. 
you're on track. You already know that. Good for you. Don't devalue yourself. Anytime yeah. you live by lower values, you devalue yourself. Anytime you live by higher values, you value, you value yourself, and so do other people. Well, good advice there. And so tell our viewers and listeners how it is that they can get in touch with you and what are some of the things you have to offer? Well, they can find me at drdmartini.com, D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. And if they would like to have anything on values, there's a complimentary private value determination, the 13 questions I mentioned on the website. It's free. Companies use it. Governments use it. All kinds of companies, institutions use it. It's free. It's worth doing. I would do it do it and do it again and again and to, to you really honest with yourself on the answers. Because sometimes you'll lie the first time. You won't you won't admit it, but the real truth is you'll put down what you think it should be and what you hope it will be instead of what your life demonstrates. But do that exercise. And then once you look at the result, you'll know where to put your focus because that's where you're going to excel. And I've got been doing it 43 years. And I'm, I feel pretty confident that that's a, that'll be a great little tool for you. But if they go on my website, there's videos and thousands of radio, television, newspapers, magazines, podcasts, interviews. It's an, it's an educational uh, website. They could keep on there and stay on there for the rest of their lives. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, John, I have one last question before we close here. And uh, if you would uh, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life, and uh, how did you come through that time, and what was the big lesson you took away from that experience? The biggest lesson, the biggest challenge I had in my life is when I, I moved from Hawaii at age 17, 18, decided I wanted to be a teacher traveling the world. And I tried to go back to school because I was a high school dropout. And I took a GED and guessed and passed, tried to go back to college, failed, and almost gave up on my goal. And um, my mom saw me crying in the living room. She said, son, what happened? I said, I blew the test. I guess I will we'll not ever be able to read or write or communicate, never amount to thing, never go very far in life, as the first grade teacher told us, And because I, I was a street kid during the teenage years. And uh, my mom said to me, son, whether you become a great teacher and travel the world, whether you go back and ride big waves in Hawaii like you've done or return to the streets and panhandle as you did, which I did as a kid when I was a teenager because I had speech problems and learning problems at the time. She said, whatever, whatever you do, I just want to let you know your father and I are going to love you no matter what. And when she said that, I, my hand went into a fist and I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and studying and learning, master this thing called teaching, and, and um, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to step foot in every country on the face of the earth. I'm going to you know, do whatever it takes to, to do that. And I'm not going to let anybody stop me. I got this determination process. And I went in my room and I got a dictionary out and I started reading a dictionary and memorizing 30 words a day with the help of my mom until my vocabulary was strong enough to pass school and then learn to read. And I just never stopped. And I've been on a, a rampage for that objective. So the setback became a gift. But if it wasn't for my mom meeting me that day, I don't know. I might have just, I, I mean, I might have been, a, I was a big wave rider in Hawaii at the time. I might have gone back to ride, rode big waves and be a surfer today. But that was a turning point in my life, that big setback that turned out to be the greatest turning point, really. One of the biggest ones. Reading a Dictionary seems like a very cumbersome and difficult way to learn to read. <laughs> Why did well, you choose I, believe that? Believe it or not, I couldn't. I I couldn't pronounce. I had dyslexia as a child, uh -huh. and the first grade teacher did tell me that I would. That it told my parents I would never be able to read or write. That's why my dad, at nine, tried to make me street smart. Mm. That was the reason. 
because yeah. he said, you'll not, you're not going to make it in school. I dropped out and I'm not going to make it in school, but we got to make you street smart. So that's why he did it. Uh -huh. That's why he wanted to make me pay. Cause I think he cared that way, yeah. which I'm very grateful for today. But later after meeting a, a teacher named Paul Bragg, who inspired me to believe that maybe I could overcome my learning problems and someday become intelligent. That, that was a turning point because mm -hmm. I never thought uh, that was not even in my vocabulary or thinking at age 17. It's when I met that teacher that my mind thought maybe I could become intelligent someday. And I went back to try, but my mom is the one that really got me over the hump. Cause I think if she hadn't come home that day and said that, I don't know. I think I would have just gone back to surfing. Well, it's wonderful to have inspiring teachers and certainly inspiring parents as well. I also have dyslexia, not to the degree that you did, but it certainly certainly held me back in many ways and, you know, contributed to an inferiority complex for a good portion of my life. So I certainly can relate to that. But look at what you're well. doing today. Look at the yeah. impact you're having today because of exactly that. That's that that's the yeah, beauty. Exactly. I always say yeah. every I, I call it the slingshot effect. It, Anytime something's pulling you back and it feels like it's a tension on your life, once you see it on the way, not in the way, it releases and it takes you to catalyze something mm -hmm. great in your life. And look at the impact you're now and the, the lives you're changing because of that. So I'm, I'm grateful. I would say mm -hmm. anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can't say thank you for is fuel in life. Well, a, a wonderful saying. And certainly I can look at my life and see some of the worst days in my life are actually some of the biggest blessings in my life. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dr. Martini, it was wonderful having you today. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to be with us and very enjoyable conversation. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate the time on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.